Well, good morning and welcome to River Glen. I'm John and I'm one of the pastors here. And we're really glad that you took time to be with us this morning. We're in this series called New You. And throughout this series, we're looking at Galatians 5.22, where we're going to take a look at the fruit of the Spirit. And I've been asking myself this question, and maybe you want to ask yourself the same question. Wouldn't it be great to be a new you, to be the person that God created us to be, not to be the person that we are, not to be the person that we want to be, but to be the person that God wants us to be. Last week, Ben started this out with love. And one of the notes I took down when he was speaking is he said, I don't always love very well. Love isn't always one of my highest goals. And, and that one kind of hit home for me because for me, I can have this tendency to kind of forget about other people. But, but Ben shared this from Philippians. Consider others better than yourself. And that's the beginning of loving others. And each week, we're going to take a look at a different facet or a different aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. And the goal is we leave here, and then we can apply those teachings to our lives. So each weekend after the message, there's a challenge card. Grab one of those challenge cards when you leave here today, and then try and apply what that card says. Because that's what this is about. It's about coming and hearing the Word of God and then applying it to our lives. Now, just like I can struggle with love, I can also struggle with joy. And it's not because I don't want to be joyful, but it's because I can focus on the wrong things in the moment. And that can cause me to miss joy. Now, as I'm a father. I have two boys, and they're older, and they're out of the home now. But when they were younger, I remember far too many times when they would be laughing, they would be having fun, they would be just doing the things that boys do. And maybe for whatever reason, I'd be upset with that, and I would just snap at them. And I'd suck the joy right out of them. I'd kill the joy in the moment. I also know that I've been rude to others. I have this ability. I'd say it's a gift, but it's more of a curse. I have this ability for sarcasm. And sarcasm can be super funny. But when you say something sarcastic to someone, it can also cut and it can also hurt them. And I've said things what I thought were funny, and I've just watched the joy drain out of someone's face. And then in the past, what I used to try and do, I used to try and say, oh, don't take it personally. That's just the way I am, as if that would fix everything. But does that make it okay? Is it okay when we say, hey, that's just the way I am? Because here's the question. The way you are the way I am, is that the person that God wants us to be? See, Jesus came to radically change who we are. He didn't come just to take us to heaven one day. He came so he could change us and so we could become this new you and we could do that now. Are you fun to be around? Are you fun to live with? Because as followers of Jesus, we should be fun to be around. But not everybody is fun to be around. Some people, they're like this, just this black hole of joy, and you get into their orbit, and you get sucked in, and they drain the joy out of you. They drain the life out of you. And, and some people, they're this black hole, and they are just joy-challenged. It's, I don't know if you heard about the man. He walks into the doctor's office, and, and, and he runs into this mean pit bull of a nurse. She's just joyless. And, and he says, hey, I got this thing on my chin, and, and I want to have the doctor take a look at it. And she says, down the hall, first on your right, take your clothes off and sit down. And he's like, no, no, it's just this thing. It's right here. I just want the doctor to take a look at it. She says, down the hall, first on your right, take your clothes off and sit down. He's like, I, I really don't think that's going to be necessary. It's just, down the hall, First on the right, take your clothes off and sit down. 
So at this point, he just kind of gives up. He goes down the hall, and, and he opens that door. And when he opens the door, he sees a man in his boxers shivering on a stool. And so there's this kind of awkward moment. And, and, and so to break this awkwardness, he says to the guy, he says, wow, she's kind of mean, isn't she? And the guy on the stool says, tell me about it. I'm the UPS driver. <laughs> We've all met people like that. We've encountered people who need a personality transplant. But, but the truth about most of us is we've all had our bad moments, right? We've all had our bad moments. But what I want to look at and what I want to consider this morning is what did God create in us and who is this new you that he wants us to be? So with this series, we're taking a close look at Galatians 5.22. So we're going to project it. And let's read this aloud because we're going to go over this verse for the next seven weeks. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what God wants for you. That's what we want for ourselves. We want to become this new you. And if the Holy Spirit's inside of us, we ought to be fun to live with. We ought to be fun to be around. And our personality should gradually be changed to becoming more and more like Jesus. Because for me, at the end of the day, I want to be a joyful person. I, I, I really do. And, and sometimes when I look at myself, I know that I'm not being the person that I want to be. When I walk into a room, I, I want people to smile. I don't want them to go, oh, no, here he is. I want to be a person who adds energy and a person who adds value, not someone who takes it away. And, and sometimes, sometimes the truth is I am. That's who I am. But other times, I'm not. I want to make sure that I have this joy of Jesus in my heart that transcends all of my circumstances. C.S. Lewis wrote a book, and he called it Surprised by Joy. And he said that when he became a follower of Jesus, there was this new sense of well-being, a sense of contentment deep within his soul that he did not anticipate. He was surprised by joy. At the same time, we don't want to confuse joy with happiness because we really don't need happiness. We need joy. Happiness is based on what happens to us. Happiness is external. Joy is internal. Happiness is based on our circumstances. Joy is based on Christ. Happiness is based on chance. Joy is a choice. Joy is always a choice. Joyce doesn't depend on uncontrollable circumstances, but it depends on the faithfulness of God. And when we understand that, we can be joyful in spite of our circumstances. And that doesn't mean we don't become frustrated and disappointed in life, but we can still be joyful people. Joy is this inner satisfaction that we can have no matter of our circumstances. In the Bible, we see the words joy, joyful, and rejoice. We see those words over 300 times. Happy and happiness, they're mentioned 26 times. So what God wants for you and what he wants for me is he wants for us to be joyful. We're to have this inner joy regardless of our circumstances. You and I were created for joy. And Paul writes about this. In Philippians, Paul is writing this letter from prison. And in the first century, prisons are not very comfortable. They're awful places to be. And here's what Paul writes from prison. Rejoice in the Lord always. And then he has a comma. And then he continues on. And he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice with an exclamation point. Paul is saying rejoice in all of our circumstances. So this morning, 
We're going to take a look at how we can have this joy. But before we get into talking about how we can have joy, we have to identify some enemies of joy. We have to take a look at some of the things that sap joy from us. Then we're going to look at Jesus' example of joy. And then we'll talk about how we can have this joy in our lives. And there's several destructive enemies of joy. And here's just a few of them. The first one is growing up in an unhealthy background. Your background is going to affect how you approach life. Some of us had parents, and they just kind of programmed us towards cynicism or towards discouragement or towards despair. And maybe you grew up in this atmosphere of discouragement. Maybe laughter, maybe laughter was rare in your home. And maybe your family's verse was found in James, and it says, Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Now that's out of context, and I hope that wasn't your family's verse. It wasn't mine. But maybe you grew up in churches where you didn't have any fun. Maybe your parents took you to church and they said, quit joking around, stop having fun because this isn't a place where you have fun. This is church. Joy is at the core of who we are. That's how God wired us. And that's what Jesus tries to communicate to his disciples. He wants his followers to live with this deep sense of wellness, this inner joy that resonates, it radiates, it flows out of us, it's contagious, and it flows into other people. And if you've been programmed with this pessimistic attitude, Jesus wants to reprogram your mind. He really does. And that's why Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he says, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world. So Paul is saying, don't do what you see the world doing. Instead, instead, be transformed. Let God transform you. Let God help you become the new you. And that happens by changing the way that you think. And Jesus wants to change you. He wants to change me. And as he changes the way we think, he wants us to exhibit joy. Now, here's another enemy of guilt, another challenge, I'm sorry, to um, joy, a joy killer. It's unresolved guilt. Proverbs 10, 28 says, the prospect of the righteous is joy, but the hopes of the wicked come to nothing. King Arthur in, in Camelot said this. He said, one cannot be wicked and happy at the same time. And it may be that there is a feeling of discontent. You have this feeling of discontent in your life because of unresolved guilt in your past. Mark Twain said, man is the only animal that blushes or needs to. And maybe when you think of your past, not only do you blush, but you cringe. Guilt over the past takes the joy out of a lot of people. King David committed adultery, and for over a year, he lives in denial. And then David said, when I refused to confess my sin, I was weak and miserable, and I groaned all day long. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. David discovered that inner peace and secret sin cannot coexist. It's when David's heart finally breaks in repentance to God that he pours out to God asking for forgiveness, and David pleads to God in Psalm 51, and he says, restore in me again the joy of your salvation. And the good news is Jesus wants to completely forgive our past. He wants to produce a spirit of joy within us, and he has cleansed us from everything that we've ever done. That does not, that's not to say that there might not be some consequences that follow you, but it means the guilt of those actions are completely forgiven and washed away. He wants to produce the spirit of joy in you. And then the most common enemy of joy for most people is simply unpleasant circumstances 
we ride the wave of our circumstances. Things are up and things are down. And that's natural, right? And I'm not saying we're never going to be frustrated or disappointed in life. But what I'm talking about is having a sense of joy in spite of our circumstances. So we're not victims of our circumstances. You know, we've heard, we've all heard, you know, and seen pictures, those memes when they say, you know it's going to be a bad day. So here, here's a couple. Here's, it's going to be a bad day. When your day starts with your phone in the toilet, that is a bad start to the day. All right, here's the next one for the Star Wars fans, right? You're mopping the floor. That's going to be a bad day. All right, here's the last one. You know it's going to be a bad day when your coffee is looking at you like that. We all have bad days. And it might be that you used to be this positive, upbeat person, and life just kind of unraveled for you. And you're not the same person you were. You're not the person that you wished you were. And it's all because life just kind of happened. Maybe you didn't reach your goals. And maybe you feel like a failure. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe your health is failing, and these things are just sapping you of your joy. Maybe, maybe your spouse left. Maybe you made some bad investment decisions, and, and now all the money that you thought you, were for, you had for your retirement, it, it's just not there. And publicly, you just put up this front. You've got a good front, but the truth is you're not a lot of fun to live with. You, you're down, you're depressed, and you thought your life was going to be completely different because you thought your life was going to be ideal. And then you became a follower of Jesus, and then you thought the Christian life was going to be completely painless. But a combination of your unrealist expectations and your unpleasant circumstances, they've converged to form this perfect storm, and it's just sapped the joy out of you. Well, the good news for you today, if that's you, is we're all affected by our circumstances, but we don't want to be victims of them. I want to have something inside of me that is going to transcend the happenings of my life. I want something that's internal. I, I want the sense of well-being that regardless of what happens, there's this sense of joy that remains in me. And Jesus is the perfect example of this. We're going to take a look at some verses in John 15, but I want to give you the quick backstory here because here's what's happening. In John 15, Jesus is in the upper room with the disciples, which means this is the Last Supper. And now the disciples, on the way to the upper room, they've been arguing about, about which one of them is the greatest one, which one of them is the most important. And this is the night that Jesus, it's the night before Jesus is going to be crucified. And in the context of this, he's preparing to die and in the context of this, Jesus is telling his disciples what to do and how to behave as he faces the cross. And so let's take a look at John 15, verses 8 and 11. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. It's amazing. On the night before Jesus' death, he's talking about joy. He's talking about love. And in the final hours of his life, he's encouraging the disciples to remain in his love, to remain in his joy, and to reflect that joy. He's saying, your joy will overflow. And then the scriptures tell us that he leaves the upper room. He goes into the garden. And when he's in the garden with the disciples, he says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. 
but he still emerges from that garden with the spirit of joy. Now, we don't know who the author of Hebrews is, but here's what the author of Hebrews wrote. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Even though Jesus knew he had to go to the cross, there's still this joy that's welling up inside of him. And the verse says, it's the joy that was set before him. Do you know what the joy that was set before Jesus, do you know what that was? It was you and it was me. We are the joy that was set before Jesus. We matter to him. We're the joy set before him. And he knew that 2,000 years earlier, today, we would have this hope of redemption and reconciliation. And that's the joy set before Jesus. And that means you matter to him. And and that means you are important. Dallas Willard, he's a theologian, and he said, you will not understand God until you understand this about him. God is the happiest being in the universe. Now, this might strike you as new news. This might even seem odd. The truth is, God also knows sorrow because Jesus was remembered as a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. But this is really important. I want you to hear this. The sorrow of God, like the anger of God, is his temporary response to a fallen world, but they will be banished forever in the future on that day when everything is made right. Joy is God's basic character. Joy is the core of who God is. Joy is also at the heart of God's plan for you. And and so then the question becomes, how do we experience this joy in our lives? Even when there's enemies of joy trying to take our joy away from us, how do we experience that joy? And how can we become the new you? Well, I want to share three keys that I believe will open the door to experiencing the joy of Jesus. And and the first one of those is we need to connect to Jesus. That's the most important. That is the key thing here. The key to being the new you, it's not you. The key to being the new you is Jesus. That's the key, and that's good news because that means we don't have to launch on this self-improvement. We don't have to go to all sorts of um, seminars to learn how to become better people. It's Jesus who's improving me. It's Jesus who's changing me. It's Jesus who's transforming me. The key to being the new you is being connected to Jesus. Maybe at Christmas time, you, you get a live tree. But that's not actually what it is. We call it a live tree, and our friends and our family, they'll come over to our house, and they'll smell the pine, they'll see the beautiful lights on the uh, the tree, they'll look at the ornaments, and they'll remark how lovely the tree is. But the truth is, the tree's dead. It's a dead tree. It's not a live tree. That tree is in the process of dying, and after Christmas, we're just going to take that tree, we're going to take it to the curb, we're going to throw it out there, it's going to be mulch, it's going to be burned, whatever, because it's dead. Why is that tree dead? The tree's dead because it's cut off from the source of its life. It's cut off from its root. So back to John 15. Jesus said, I am the vine, and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, when you're cut off from the root, you can do nothing. 
Apart from Jesus, you cannot have this sense of joy inside of you, this sense of joy that's going to transcend your circumstances. If we're cut off from the root of Jesus, we can try and cover it up with fake smiles, and we can have these surface conversations, but there's no joy. There's no real joy inside of us. We just have this kind of thin veneer in joy, a thin veneer of joy, but inside we know there's nothing there. We know we're empty, and we know there's no joy. So the first step in having this joy that transcends circumstances is to be connected to Jesus and to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus, he has been calling you your entire life. He has been saying, come to me. Are you tired? Are you weary? He's saying, come to me. I will give you rest. I will give you peace. I will give you joy. And you have to be connected to him. And today can be that day. You can be connected to Jesus. And one way that we express this is in baptism. In three weeks, three weeks from Saturday, we're going to do this outdoor baptism bash. We do it annually. It is just this great party and this great celebration because baptism expresses our commitment to being connected with Jesus. There is great joy in baptism in your program. There's a baptism card. If you've got questions about baptism or you'd like to be baptized, just fill out that card, drop it in the offering bag. I'll call you this week, and I'll answer those questions. But baptism is a great way to demonstrate how we want to be connected to Jesus. And if you're already a follower of Jesus, he says, you need to be connected to me, and you need to remain in me because I'm still the source of your joy. So how do we remain in Jesus? One thing we do is we read and reflect on the Bible. We read and reflect on the Bible on a regular basis. That's how we reprogram our mind. That's how we renew our minds. You, we, and, and as a matter of fact, we put together this, this guide. It's a new you guide. They're available out at the Connect wall. And each week after service, you can grab this, and each week we've covered the additional the topics. So this week's joy. There's additional scripture. There's questions for reflections. There's questions that you can answer. There's questions to think about and pray about. And that's what reflecting on scripture is all about. Reflecting is the re- real key. I try to read the Bible every day. And sometimes I'll say, okay, I'm going to just sit down. I'm going to read my Bible for 30 minutes. And I'll do that. I'll set my timer. 30 minutes are up. I'll close my Bible and then I'll go on with my day. And then I'll find myself later in the afternoon wondering about what I had read that morning because I don't remember it. But when I remember what I read, it's the times when I sit I reflect, I write down some notes, I pray about it, I ask God to give me the ability to, to apply what I'm learning into my life my, that day. And, and that's when I feel my mind being renewed. That's when I feel myself being transformed. So read and reflect on Scripture. They go hand in hand. And here's what the psalmist said. Joyful are those who obey His laws and search for Him with all their hearts. That's what reading and reflecting on Scripture looks like, and that's what it does for you. So the first key is you stay connected to Jesus. And and the second key is you give yourself to other people. David Myers is a Christian psychologist, and he's written extensively on, on joy. And he notes that people who are consistently in negative moods, joyless people, self absorbed, self focused individuals, they're the least likely to serve. They're the least likely to love, and they are the least likely people to experience joy in their lives. He said in experiment after experiment, the people who score highest in joy are the people who are most likely to help 
in times of need. We don't really need an experiment to tell us that. We know that's true because we see people who are outwardly focused and they demonstrate, they exhibit that joy, they reflect it. People who are inward, people who think life is all about themselves, they're preoccupied, they're self-absorbed, their lives are just this continued journey through misery. If you want a prescription for misery, I I can give you one. If you want to be miserable, here's what you do. You set out to make yourself as happy as you possibly can be because happiness, it's like a mirage. You never get there. You get close, and it just continues to move further and further out in the distance. You never arrive because happiness is elusive. Joy is different. Joy overcomes us. Joy overwhelms us. And when you give yourself to other people, when you serve other people, that's when joy will overtake you. It's not your intention. You don't start out serving with this attitude of this transformational joy that's going to happen, but it just happens. We see it in our own lives. We've experienced, and we see it in the lives of other people. Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when we live life that way, joy is a byproduct of serving others and not focusing on ourselves. And if you want to live a life of more joy, serve others other people, focus on other people, and forget about yourself. How could Jesus face the agony of the cross, the horror of the death? Because he knew he was doing it for other people. The joy that was set before him, it was us. It it, it was me, it was you, and that's how he remained joyful, even as he walked to the cross. Jesus said, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And when you have this other focus, joy becomes your reality. You want to overcome discouragement in your life. You want to get past self-pity. Find someone that can use your help and then just pour into them. Pour into them sacrificially. Maybe there's someone on your street and they can't mow their lawn. They can't take care of their lawn anymore. Do it for them. We've partnered with Habitat for Humanity. We're helping a family in Waukesha who does not have a home. We're helping them build a home. Sign up. Go down and help that family. We've got this backpack drive. There are people in the community that need this extra help when school goes back because money and resources are tight. Jump in on that. At River Glen, we always have recommendations and suggestions on, on, way you, on ways you can serve. You can take a staff member and their spouse out for dinner next weekend. Uh, I'm just kind of, well, I'm not really kidding on that one. But the truth is, it's natural for us to be self-focused. It's natural to have these self interest. And that's why when we're connected to Jesus and we see how he gave his life away, and when we become more like him, we experience his joy. And I think that's what we want. I don't want to be a victim. I don't want to be a victim of my circumstances. I don't want to ride this roller coaster of emotions. Yeah, life is difficult. Life can be frustrating and life can be hard. But at times we can have this deep sense of joy because we're connected to Jesus and we're focused on others. And so here's the last one. We're going to focus on eternal things and not temporary things. When we focus on eternal, 
rather than temporary. Because when we focus on the day-to-day, when we focus on the temporary, that's going to rob us of our joy. But when we focus on eternity, that's different. That's how Jesus could have joy because he focused. He knew there was going to be a resurrection. He knew the ultimate purpose that he was playing, and he knew to focus on eternity. Paul, this great missionary, he plants all these churches. He's been beaten. He's been stoned. He's been in prison. He's been shipwrecked. He's hungry. He's been starving. And here's what he writes in the midst of all of that. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. So every time that we get dragged down in despair, dragged down into discouragement by life's circumstances, when we focus on something that's eternal, not just the mundane, ordinary, day-to-day business, our lives can be transformed. That doesn't mean we're not impacted by what's happening around us. It doesn't mean that we're not affected by what's going on. It just means that we're not victimized by it. And so we can have this deep sense of well-being to help us move through these times. Here's what Peter had to say. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him, and you are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. That's what we want to express in our lives. We, we, we want to, when, when you develop that eternal perspective, it, it'll transform your daily attitude. It really will. It helps us from getting discouraged about the little mundane daily things. Paul, we started this. Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And it's a matter of attitude. And it's a matter of perspective. It's a matter of keeping the eternal reward in mind. And when you do that, you're going to have a positive attitude in life. It's going to have, help you have this joy that transcends your circumstances. Job, in the middle of all of his sufferings, here's what one of his advisors says to him. He says, God, he will yet fill your mouth with laughter and your lips with shouts of joy. When followers of Jesus get together, there should be laughter. Laughter is a genuine expression of joy that no one can take away from us. And then the psalmist echoes Job. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. I started out talking about my boys, and as a dad, I, I love to hear my boys laugh when they were little. And to this day, they don't live with us, but when they're over, I love to hear them laugh. And when I hear that laughter, I will stop what I'm doing, and, and I'll go find out what's going on because I want to know what's going on. I want to know what the laughter is about because laughter is contagious. It draws us in, and I think God smiles when he hears laughter, when it springs from the heart with authentic joy, and and the world is attracted to people who are genuinely joyful. Are you settling for much less than God desires for you? Because he wants us to live a life of joy. So use those three keys that we talked about to open the doors of joy. Connect to Jesus. Remain in him. You give yourself to other people. And then lastly, You focus on the eternal. And when we do that, when you do it, when I do that, we become the new you. We become the person that God wants to become, the person he's committed to helping us become. Here's our last verse for the day. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. That's my prayer for you, and that's my prayer for me today.
In a minute, we're going to take communion together. And I want to go back to John 15. I want to go back to that upper room. Because not only did Jesus have some amazing teaching that night, he washed the disciples' feet. He set the example on how we should live our lives. But he also took the bread. And he told his disciples, when I take this bread, I break this bread, take it and do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup and he said, this cup represents my blood that is going to be poured out for you. Drink it in remembrance. And so what Jesus has asked us to do is Jesus has asked to remember what he has done for us. And he opened up that way for us to be reconciled and reunited with God. But he also created an opportunity for us to start experiencing this new you, to be this new creation here on earth. Heaven isn't just something that we wait for in the future. Heaven is something we can begin to experience now. So as we go into this time of communion, reflect on what Jesus has done for us and what that means to us and how we should be. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the opportunity to study your word, to dig in your word, and to see how you want us to be. Thank you for the opportunity to become this new you. And it's only possible because Jesus was willing to go to the cross and to take our sins and just to wipe them all away. Lord, we're so grateful that you love us and we're so thrilled that we can experience you by the power of your spirit that's alive in us. God, may we enter in this time of communion, reflecting on everything that you've done for us. Lord, thank you so much for your son Jesus. In his name I pray, amen.